ladies and gentlemen, now hosting the Rizzo cast, put your hands together for Steven Rizzotto. What's going on, everybody, and welcome. My name is Steven Rizzotto. I cover the San Francisco Giants for SF Bay, and I am the host of RizzoCast, the podcast that features current and former big league players, coaches, fans, media, and others who are regarded as some of the greatest and brightest minds around the game of baseball. Today's guest is Bobby Evans, the longtime executive for the San Francisco Giants for nearly 25 years. After working in the minor leagues and in player personnel, Evans was promoted to general manager of the Giants in 2015 and served in the role until after the 2018 season. His tenure as GM was kind of complicated, but we had an excellent conversation touching on his journey to the big leagues, developing young players, analytics in baseball, the three championships in the city by the bay, maybe even some Bruce Bochy stories, how things ended with the Giants, what he's up to now, so much more. This is episode number 129. 150 is going to be a big one. I'm guaranteeing you that right now. Let's get started. All right, and we are back with Bobby Evans, and Bobby is nice enough to take some time and join the show. Bobby, how's it going? Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. A lot to get into, and uh, I know that there's a lot of Giants fans out there that are kind of wondering uh, what you've been up to. I guess we could start there. I mean, I, I know that you were reassigned within the Giants organization a few years back. Is that are, are you still technically a Giant? What have you been up to, and, and how has life kind of been for you recently? No, my contract uh, ended at the end of 19, uh, so my reassignment was was more of an opportunity for transition uh, for me, just uh, looking at other aspects of the game, other opportunities in the game, and ultimately landed uh, running a company down in Los Altos. And uh, it's kept me, um, you know, just being able to stay in the Bay Area, be able to enjoy uh, enjoy the Bay Area, enjoy my family, and allow our kids to stay in sort of the consistent schools and programs that they've been involved in. And at the same time, I keep my toes in the water in baseball in, in so many different ways. Um, you know, in terms of uh, amateur and 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 major league and and, and minor league opportunities. So, you know, currently um, serving as a, 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 a special assistant to the president of the Future Star Series, Jeremy Booth. Uh, very active in uh, trying to establish baseball for uh, the youth level in Cairo, Egypt, through an organization called Because Baseball. Uh, working closely uh, as a major league baseball representative for Compassion International to try to help help Major League Baseball and all its teams see the opportunity that we have in the Dominican Republic to really impact uh, the difficult poverty that many of those young boys live in, many families live in, and yet they hope to have future stars in their own uh, right, but they they do have a lot of difficulty, and so uh, Compassion does a lot to provide water and resources and education and provision for many kids uh, around the Dominican Republic and around the world, actually. Um, I stay involved with Positive Coaching Alliance, which is a great youth uh, movement to help coaches um, at all levels um, be positive influences on kids. And and so, uh, amongst other things, but just just love being involved in the game in different ways and have interviewed for a number of opportunities in the game, but it's going to have to be a, the right situation for me to leave the Bay Area. So we'll see what happens in the future. 
Yeah, absolutely. It looks like you're you're involved in some really good causes. Uh, let's get into your career a little bit. I know you're you're an East Coast guy, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. How did your career kind of get started in baseball, and and when did it when did it really take off? When did you realize that it was something that you wanted to do for a living? My dream was to play the game, and that was always my dream. And and so when I went to college uh, at North Carolina, my hope was to make the the baseball team and play baseball, and then hopefully get drafted and, and play. Uh, but I, I quickly realized uh, how good division one ball players are. And, and I just didn't measure up and I, I got cut um, during the tryout process. And, you know, I just didn't want to give up on my dream. And so I, I approached the, the coach, the assistant coach and head coach about, you know, possibly being a student manager and, and be, at least being able to stay with the team in some capacity, shag flies, throw BP, maybe take occasional BP myself just to see if I could keep myself fresh. And being a student manager was great. It was an incredible opportunity. Uh, they had a very good team that year. Ended up losing in the ACC championship, but just a really good team. Uh, but and they were coming off a couple years earlier, going to their uh, more recent College World Series back then. And and so I, 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 I just, I just was was struggling to not play the game. And so I went out and played uh, semi-pro ball that summer. Uh, after my freshman year uh, at the, in the Central Florida uh, Baseball League um, in Daytona Beach. And and I could see how, how my skills were sliding fast. And I was like, so I went back and I told the coach, if you don't think I'm going to make the team, I've got to play club baseball just to keep my skills fresh. And and in the process, um, you know, I had a great baseball experience at Carolina, but that summer I got an internship with the Boston Red Sox. And, and I was working for Ed Kinney, Lou Gorman, Eddie Casco, um, just some really great people, Dick Bresciani, uh, Linda Ezel, just some wonderful baseball people. Uh, had a chance to uh, meet um, uh, Mrs. Jockey, and just it was a great experience. And I, I came back to school, and many of my friends asked me, "Are you going to go into baseball?" And I, you know, I I had just always wanted to play the game, so it was an adjustment to think about working in the game instead of playing the game. But I I had had to admit that I learned a lot that I had never dreamed was even going on in the game, and so. So I, I did admit that I would potentially pursue it. And it wasn't until my senior year when I saw everybody in my in the business school coming to class wearing those uh, nice suits and ties. And I was like, wait a minute, I, I they're coming from interviews. I uh, that's probably not going to be what I want to do. So I I began making phone calls that 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 Christmas break and um, with some of the suggestions of Lou Gorman and finally found a, an opportunity in the commissioner's office that Although I might not get it, at least it was an opportunity for me to pursue. And so I pursued that opportunity in the commissioner's office. So when I graduated, I was one of nine finalists and I was fortunate enough to get the job and started in New York in July, right after I graduated. And and Brian Sabian, of course, took over the Giants in the 90s uh, as a general manager. How did the relationship with the Giants begin? Was it Brian Sabian kind of finding you in the commissioner's office and calling you up? How did that uh, the whole relationship with San Francisco start? I feel like that Roy Krasick uh, in the commissioner's office and Tony Siegel at the time with the Giants, you know, talked about me and told and they you know shared, you know, the fact that I could be a, a good fit for what they were looking for. The, the ownership group had taken over uh, to start the 90, 1993 season. And so um, uh, now the, the first year had ended. They had won 103 games or so and had not made the playoffs, but they were they were looking for additional staff. And so. Uh, Tony Siegel and Brian Sabian interviewed me at the time. Bob Quinn was the general manager and they interviewed me at the winter meetings in Atlanta. And, you know, I could tell these were really 
uh, you know, exciting times for the Giants organization, not only having coming off a great win and a great season, I should say, uh, and the addition of Barry Bonds, you know, to start the year prior. Uh, but this new new organization, new ownership was really looking to to take this franchise to, to new heights and build a new ballpark, of course, and all these things. And so I was very excited by the possibility. And uh, probably a couple of weeks later, I got a, a phone call uh, from Tony and Brian and they, they offered me the position. And, um, and uh, I, you know, it was, it was a lot to take in because I, I had to sublet my apartment in New York city and uh, in two weeks uh, get to San Francisco and uh, after four or five weeks in San Francisco, I'd be heading to Scottsdale, Arizona for spring training. So it was a bit of a whirlwind, um, but it was a great start. And and at that time, Brian Brian was assistant general manager and overseeing player personnel. And uh, Tony was overseeing or was assistant GM and overseeing player development and along with Jack Hyatt. And it was just a great uh, entree to the organization. And unfortunately, by August that year, baseball had a strike. And so that kind of slowed things down a little bit. We had some turnover, um, but Brian was always uh, just just a, a, a barrel of energy and always uh, making sure we were doing the right thing for the organization. And it was really a great place for me to learn as a young young man. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you mentioned that you spent a lot of time in the minor leagues and, um, you know, overseeing minor league operations or being a part of minor league operations for, uh, you know, quite a bit of years. So when you have that title not specified to one particular level, and I guess the the general manager of a big league team has to kind of go through this too, is it challenging to keep up with you know all the games that are going on in the organization? Rookie ball, single A, double A, you know, triple A, the big leagues. I mean, it seems like a lot to analyze. Is that more of like you know passing that down to someone else and then someone else briefing you on all the minor league stuff? How is it keeping up with with you know that many players in in an organization? Because it seems like a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of baseball watching. Well, as a as a young man, I mean, I was I was learning from Jack Hyatt, uh, Dick Tidrow, Brian Sabian, Bob Quinn, um, all all of Tony Siegel, all of these guys to help me understand how to navigate it. Um, I had spent a little time in the Arizona Fall League, uh, working with uh, Dusty Baker uh, in the first year of the Fall League. And so I had, you know, uh, understanding of, you know, the team side of things, but, and obviously my time with the Red Sox, but, but following an entire system, including players in the Dominican at that time, even players that we had in Venezuela, I mean, it was, it was, it's, it's quite an ordeal. And, you know, basically in my role, just trying to create the best system and process so that not only I can keep up with it, but so that everybody can keep up with it, which, you know, which, which took a lot of innovation on a lot of different people's part in terms of how we documented our games and how we recorded information, how we passed it along. A lot of information at that time was done through a voicemail system and fax machine. And so you know, we had that, that of course had to evolve over time. So by the time, by the time I'm a general manager, um, which was, you know, really the, the last part of my career, but certainly not the bulk of my time with the giants, it was really, uh, you know, just a team effort to try to make sure we were leveraging, you know, every, every situation for every player, you know, we looked at ourselves as as stewards of these players' careers. It was our job to make sure they got opportunity. It was their job to make sure that they uh, took advantage of those opportunities. It was it was our job to make sure that we provided the medical resources, the coaching resources, um, the analytic resources to make sure they had all the information, all the opportunity to get better and make the most of their career. But we all we all knew that every one of these guys has a very small window. I mean. One minute you're 22, the next minute you're 24, the next minute you're 26, and people are starting to say it's too late. And so 
these windows are small. And so we, we tried to do everything we could from instructional programs to, to roving and coach roving coaches, to, to former hall of famer, to hall of famers, to former major league players, to current, um, you know, longtime coaches just to help these guys get better. And we, we tracked every, everything every day. I mean, you know, from, you know, from what the lineup was to what position they were playing to, to whether it was a throwing error, a fielding error, or, or what their velocities were and, and what, what they were working on. And, and so it makes the major league uh, team really a lot easier than the minor leagues because there's so much going on in the minor leagues. So your day, you know, even as a general manager, often starts with what happened in the farm system uh, the night before. Hmm. Yeah, and staying on that topic of the minor leagues, I think you bring up a good point. And I, I do want to mention player development a little bit more because the Giants went through a period where – they were drafting and developing guys like ferociously, like Brian Wilson, Lincecum, Kane, Bumgarner, Posey, you know, Crawford, Bell, later on, Joe Panic, And the list kind of goes on. I'm probably leaving some names off. And, you know, then there was kind of a dry spell. And, you know, what's your philosophy on, on how development can thrive for, you know, so long? And then there's a dry spell. Is that related to talent? Is that related to personnel? Because it was kind of relatively the same staff. Um, that you had in San Francisco. Uh, what can be, I guess, the explanation for when an organization goes through kind of a dry spell of not developing talent? Because not to throw any organizations under the bus, but kind of the Angels are going through it right now with um boatload of other teams. It, and it happens from time to time. So what would be the explanation for, you know, having some success with talent and then, you know, kind of going through a dry spell? Is it really a crapshoot? I don't think so. I mean, I think there's, I think, I think there's, there's smart baseball people out there that are, you know, finding ways to, to, to get an edge. Um, and, you know, by, you know, after three world series in five years, we're certainly not drafting, you know, in the top 10, you know, we're, we're drafting much lower and, you know, for, so not only the first round, but every round after that you're drafting at the end of the round. And so, you know, uh, there's also economic uh, changes that occurred in the game that, you know, made it much more balanced in terms of competitive, you know, you were no longer able to, you know, to, to take a, a, a Logan Webb and, and, and pay him a little bit more uh, without, you know, undercutting somebody above. So you, there's the things were, you know, things were getting, you know, you know, more equalized, I think for a lot of teams. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that. I think that sometimes it's, sometimes there's, there's luck involved. Sometimes there's just opportunity. Um, you know, I think in some cases, you know, we we were we we let uh, some top round picks go, uh, in in deference to signing a major league free agent. Um, you know, you make compromises sometimes; it can come back and bite you. Um, but you know, we as much as we um, go through a draft, you know, you draft, you know, now twenty rounds. You know, we used to draft up to forty rounds. I mean, you're not looking for um, you know every one of those guys to be superstars. You're, you're really hoping that you're going to get you know, three to five guys that really can impact your major league club in the years to come. And so when you get three, you feel extremely pleased. If you get five, you feel obviously even better. And, and sometimes it's hard to even get those. And I think the, uh, I think that the process and system that we followed didn't, didn't have any radical changes. I think that, you know, I think that, uh, you know, people get older and travel can get harder. And I think that, you know, sometimes you get, maybe a little bit more dependent on one system over another and you can miss on a guy. And, you know, I think we, you know, we see guys, you know, pitched around at the high school level, maybe more. And, you know, there's, um, there's, uh, there's a lot of factors. 
Um, but ultimately, you're you're trying to make sure that you set up your organization for the future, and you can't always do it just through the draft, which is why you've got to go international as well. And I think that you know we you know where we struggled some in the draft, we also had some great success, and hopefully we'll get to continue to see you know some of the fruits of that uh, you know international signings that we had during the year, you know bear fruit and. But I don't think you can expect an organization to have the success that we had, you know, with a Kane, Lincecum, and Bumgardner, and and Wilson, and and even you know uh, Romo and others, you know, without just really doing uh, a lot of a lot of good things extremely well. And uh, you know, we we sometimes um, you know stayed pretty insular with our our staff. We didn't do a lot of turnover, and sometimes that can make you miss miss a, a beat at times. Um, but I, I, you know, no excuses. I mean, we 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 know we're 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 still seeing fruits of of our farm system that we left behind, and uh, just as as Farhan and his group will see a lot of fruits of their work, maybe not immediately, but in the years to come too. So it's just it's an organic process, and it it takes time. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And and I guess Brandon Crawford's a good example of a guy who you know, really wasn't nationally ranked as a prospect anywhere. Do you think that's a testament to organizations having their own, you know, separate rankings of minor leaguers, different from the fan graphs, different from MLB.com pipeline? Um, do organizations have that kind of, you know, separate evaluations on their prospects that's different from kind of the national landscape? Well, of course. I mean, the the national landscape a lot of time is 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 a collection of, experts with teams and experts in the field um, at those respective sites. And, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot of different schools of thought and, you know, and you can get unlucky. I mentioned is, you know, with health and, and other factors too, that could work against you, but, but yeah, I mean, we ultimately got to believe our data, believe our, our scouts, believe what our eyes have seen. And, you know, I think Crawford had a down year, his junior year, year career because he's not there for us when we take you know a little further down in the what, third or fourth round so you know we're we're fortunate and and he knew we were fortunate and, and he made that negotiation pretty tough to sign because he knew he should have gone higher had he had a better junior year yeah now he's become one of the better uh probably the best shortstop in franchise history uh so he's had quite the career and uh, we'll see what happens after this year um and what have you, because I'm sure you, you're still kind of tuned into the organization from time to time. What have you seen from some of the current youngsters that the Giants have with Casey Schmidt, Blake Sable, the Rule 5 pick, Patrick Bailey, who's looking like he's going to win a gold glove, Matos. I mean, what have you seen from, uh, and I know you know Matos a little bit, Luciano, of course, was your guy too um, from from the last regime. So what have you kind of seen from this current group of uh, of, of young players that the Giants have? Well, I am proud of, of, of Luciano and Matos obviously coming up at a very early age and getting a chance that, you know, that a lot of young players don't get and give the organization credit for giving them an opportunity, you know, where, you know, they know they have development time, but they gave them a chance to do some, some of that development in the big leagues. Um, Noval obviously, you know, is, is a, is a story from our, our farm system and international signings, but what a great job they've done with him in terms of make, making him arguably one of the best closers in the game. And so, um, but I, I look, I look at uh, uh, Schmidt, I'm just really impressed with his strength. I'm really impressed with his, his defense. Uh, I think there's a lot to work with there. Uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, he's, you know, approach of the plate is going to get tested with these, 
the pitchers that are he's facing these days. I mean, they're not they're gonna they're gonna you know change eye level. They're gonna go in and out. They're gonna change speeds, and you know that's a big adjustment from what you see in the minor leagues. And so you know to be tested or to struggle is just part of part of development, part of the process. And and I think that when you look at at Bailey again, you have another player that's just excelling defensively and just is so much fun to watch. And, you know, you, you really, I mean, I was a, as a kid, I played catcher and all I wanted to do, I, as much as I wanted my team to win, I just wanted somebody on first base all the time. So I could try to throw them out. And if I'm, if I'm watching a giants game now, I don't mind a runner getting on first. Cause I, I just can't wait to see them try to take on uh, Bailey. And, you know, he's done enough with the bat to, to, you know, to continue to help, you know, drive in runs and put the ball in play and, and stay competitive from both sides of the plate, which is, I think incredibly impressive and, you know, there's more to come. I mean, I think those are, there's a lot we can look forward to um, hopefully with, uh, you know, Kyle Harrison, you know, in the wings. And um, I think the, the success that they've had this year, you know, takes a, it takes, you know, takes a village. I mean, everybody's got to do the right thing, uh, the next right thing all the time to, to stay competitive. But um, I, I love seeing the farm system contribute. And I think it's an important part of every organization. I think that, it's what gives fans hope. It's what fans, you know, look for. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons that the Giants were, you know, so beloved, not only winning in 10, 12, and 14, but also how much the farm system contributed to that success and how those became players that they could follow and root for. And there wasn't just one guy they rooted for. There was a ton of guys they rooted for. And I remember the final out in, in game seven of the um, 2014 World Series, having uh, a, a, an originally drafted or signed player at every position for that final out, um, you know, in 2014, I, I, you know, it's a lot of fun and a little credit to our scouts, our player development people. Yeah. I, I hadn't even realized that that's a good point. Um, and, and, you know, the, the three championships in five years, just going back to that, uh, the, the way those teams kind of transcended the city with the character and the resilience. And, uh, I'm going to take a wild guess and assume that that stretch was the highlight of, Bobby Evans's executive career. How special were those teams? I mean, you know, I, I, I loved all of our guys all these years, but you know, they, it, when they have that kind of success, it's, it's hard to not have them hold a special place in your heart and career. And uh, you know, I think those are, those are tremendous memories of, you know, not just the, what's going on on the field, but also our team in the front office and how Brian, you know, led us and, and the ownership supported us. And, and it, it's, it's, it's forever a great experience in memory for us. And, um, you know, we just want to see more and, and hopefully there's more to come. Yeah. And one noticeable thing with those teams were, you know, the front office's ability to bring in uh, what seemed like genuine people who could fit in the clubhouse while also being, you know, an effective big league contributor. Uh, and, and when you're looking at targets and free agency and trade, how much due diligence is zeroed in on, that side of a player where, you know, this guy's maybe not going to cause disruptions. He's going to fit well in our clubhouse and he's also going to be an above average player. How much due diligence is done on kind of the makeup and uh, I guess off the field stuff. I mean, it's a priority. I mean, we, we, we don't want to bring anyone in that's going to be disruptive. Um, we're not trying to have everybody be alike either. Uh, we want people to have their unique personality, unique style. You know, but ultimately they need to be professional and committed to, you know, to winning. And they, you know, we, Brian always said, we'd like to have guys who, you know, um, who, who love to win, but more than anything, they hate to lose. And I think that's one of the characteristics of, of Bruce Bochy, you know, uh, players. And I think that, you know, Boch helped us. I mean, Boch would make calls for us too, you know, whether it was, 
to other managers or or to you know his contacts in the game and you know we wanted to make sure we made the right decision and you know there's a big there's a there's a big hill to climb when it comes to the free agents or, or even trades i mean there's finding a match of deal where you can give up something to get something but also in the free agent market you know players have all these other options and so why the giants why here and you know, Bruce Bochy was a big attraction for them. The city was a, a big attraction for them. The ballpark full every night was a big attraction for them. Our success was a big attraction for them. But at the same time, we needed to make sure they were a good fit for us. And and so that took due diligence, you know, talking to our some of our key players uh, on the roster, as well as uh, our scouts, uh, our our player development system. Oftentimes you'd be surprised how much you know come, information comes from our player development staff as they interact with players or coaches throughout the system or out, out in the system uh, during the year. Uh, so there's there's a lot to look at, and you you ultimately don't want to disrupt a good thing in a clubhouse. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and Bruce Bochy, the big story this past week was Bruce Bochy coming back to San Francisco as manager of the Rangers. And everybody's kind of asking for, you know, asking everybody for their favorite Bruce Bochy story. So I'm going to ask you, when you think of Bruce Bochy, is there a story or a moment that comes to mind with him? Yeah, I mean, I, there's so many, but I, I, I'll never forget sitting in the office with Felipe Alou uh, in Kansas City um, prior to Game Seven. Um, we're sitting there with Bruce Bochy in his office, and 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 Jeremy Affelt whizzes by the door, and 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 Bochy yells for him, "Hey, hey, Jeremy, you know, if if things go a little south at all um, early in the game, you're 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 coming in." and be ready. So be ready early, you know, just be ready. So Jeremy's like, okay, I'll be ready. Uh, and then he, and then Boach turns to Felipe and I, and he says, you know, if, if Madison gets up in the bullpen, he's coming in the game. If he gets up, he's coming in the game. So sure enough, you know, just as Boach planned and talked about, and so many times he did it in his game preparation with Rigetti and, and Gardy, just, just, Sure enough, the game goes a little south. Affelt comes in to to kind of stop it. And we see, you know, I'm with Felipe there in the in the the box watching the game. And sure enough, Madison's up throwing, you know, and it's the fifth inning, you know, but he's throwing. So we both know what's going to happen next. And sure enough, that bullpen gate opens as soon as we get out in fifth, and in comes Bumgarner. And one of my favorite Felipe memories is is hearing him say, This game is over. I mean, we've got a one-run lead. And I'm like, I don't know how nobody else could ever say that, but Felipe, you know, this game is over and he was right. And one of my favorite memories is just how watching boats prepare for games and, and the way he, he had a feel for what was going to happen. Yeah. And I felt had to have his knee brace on early that day. We'll just say that. And uh, he did a really good job in, in that game. Uh, I think he might have gotten the win too. Uh, so, and and Boach has gotten a lot of praise for you know the quote unquote managing with his gut. And there's been a lot of numbers in baseball, and it's only amplifying. And you know, some think that there might be too many numbers, um, and the game's too robotic. Others disagree. They like the strategy involved with more numbers. Where do you stand on on the use of analytics? Do you like a blend? Do you like you know the old school stuff, the new school stuff? Where's your philosophy with that? I mean, ultimately, we're we're talking about you know great athletes who are competitive and know how to you know know how to play the game and and I think we, it's our job in the front office to make sure they're resourced with 
the best information so that they can take the, their ability and, and make the most of it. I think that similar to the coaches and the manager, you know, they need to have the best information so that they, you know, make the right call, you know, during a game or, or during a tough situation or, or even making the lineup out on a given day. So you know, the information is your friend. It's a value to you. You know, anything that you, you know, in the game, you can value too much. I mean, you can value the long ball too much. You can value a certain stat too much. You can value, um, a certain type of player too much the game is 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 not that easy and so you you have to have some uh go with the flow if you will on on what's what's happening at any given time during the game and you i think you you as a general manager need to have a, a man in the dugout that you trust to run it and i think when you try to run it from upstairs uh there's too much disconnect i think it's not it's not healthy for a clubhouse i don't think it's healthy for the manager i don't think it's healthy for you know, the front office or the results. I think uh, it's a team approach. It's collaborative. But when the game starts, you know, you got to let your manager run it um, with the best information and the best process he has. Yeah. And, and the, there's also the use of platoons and openers that are happening now. Uh, and I think at one point, you know, good teams, they, you know, could have platoons at one or two positions. But uh, a lot of teams like having the one set lineup and guys playing every day. Uh, do you think that the use of platoons and openers, while they are effective mathematically, right? Uh, do you think that, you know, they're kind of used sometimes to, you know, suppress the free agent market at times? Because what I'm saying is, if you're a left-handed batter, platoon batter, and a good one, and I'm going to throw out like 450 at-bats, like I'm assuming that's what they might get. And a team goes out that offseason when he's a free agent and they say, we don't want to give you $35 million if you only had 400 at-bats last year. And the same thing goes for a starting pitching, pitcher maybe throwing 160 innings. So is, is there an angle of like trying to make some of these players cheaper with the way that they're used, with the, the quality in which they are kind of being, you know, limited to you know, platoons and openers? What do you think? I, I don't know how I, you know, if that's if that makes sense at all, but what do you think about that? I mean, I think it'd be a terrible strategy. Um, I think it'd be, I mean, ultimately our job is to make sure the team is successful, make sure they win. And, you know, one of the things I learned from Brian is, you know, I don't, I don't want to hold a player's, even his, his start time to a big league roster because of service time or mm. arbitration or ultimately free agency. I, when he's ready, I want him here and I want him here now. And I think that that mentality should carry over even into your approach uh, you know, in, in strategy, game to game, you know, you're not going to hold a pitcher back or hold a hitter back just to, you know, maybe get them cheaper later. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that's a healthy way to to lead an organization. Um, if you're leading from just a financial model, uh, I think that's weak. I think it's uh, much better to, you know, let the players perform and earn their opportunities. I, I don't think there's any harm in, in having a strategy to platoon or whatnot. I think that you, the hard part for me is, is what that does to the player mentally and what that does to the player's confidence. And so, you know, as long as you can help the players with you and you can help him understand how this works to the betterment of the club and, and ultimately him, you know, that's, that's the biggest hill to climb. I just can't stand seeing a player, um, uh, you know, frustrated that he's in the lineup today because now he, he doesn't think he's anything but a platoon and it's, it's the wrong platoon, but he's in the lineup, so he doesn't understand. I think that's that's not good, but I also don't think it's good that a player, you know, not get opportunities that he deserves just because the platoon is working against him in a given time. But, you know, I understand the strategy, uh, but the player's mentality is my 
first and foremost concern because I need I need players that are all in all the time and and can give me their best and I, I don't want to do anything to to de- depreciate or diminish you know their their mental strength yeah without a doubt and and um you, you mentioned this uh a few minutes ago but how much truth is there to the theory that it's difficult to get free agent position players to want to play at Oracle Park because of the ballpark. Well, I mean, I, I don't know that it's true for, you know, every player. I think it's true for some players. I mean, I, I remember that we had, you know, a left-handed hitter who, who, you know, maybe it was his agent's guidance just for him professionally. Maybe there was other reasons, but, you know, was concerned about, you know, signing with us, you know, because of, you know, really the high, the high wall and the and right, right center field. And so, you know, I'm sure there's there's some factors for for players. I'm sure there's a lot of factors if you're a pitcher about going to Colorado. You have to think twice. Um, I don't think that we have. Um, uh, I have a feel for today. You know, um, you know how much it's impacted the, the new group and Farhan and, and and gang. But you know, I think from our experience, uh, there were occasions where you know we missed out on guys. You know, because of the ballpark, but it was more few and far between. I think ultimately. Uh, you know, players, uh, there was a lot to be attracted to uh, with the Giants. But, you know, ultimately, you know, the guys that we didn't get oftentimes were because we didn't want to give that one extra year or we didn't want to give that extra, you know, uh, extra AAV on the on the financial part of the deal. So, you know, sometimes it's our choice just because we, we want to stop. We have a limit as to how far we go. Um, but that doesn't mean there were some players that were much more resistant to come. Yeah, absolutely. And a few more things here before we wrap Um you were promoted to GM before the 2015 season. And I always circle back to the the 2017 Giants season where they lost 98 games. And um, that offseason, Andrew McCutcheon and Evan Longoria were acquired um, that winter. I, the casual fan may ask, how does a 98-loss team think of themselves as a contender that very offseason? So what was the mindset going into 2018 um, was it trying to like spend out of a, a bigger rebuild? Was there belief that there was talent that could still contribute on the roster? What was the belief going into 2018? I mean, it's a, it's a collaborative effort really on the business side and the baseball side. You know, we knew we, you know, we, we kept, uh, you know, we kept trying to fly the plane higher. Uh, you know, uh, we'd, we'd won in, in 10, 12 and 14. We had, you know, gotten into a position that we thought we could win in 2016 uh, and then 17 hit us uh, with, you know, over a thousand days on the DL. Uh, you know, our offense was, you know, not what it could have or should have been. I think, you know, the, um, the the injuries certainly had an impact on us. But I think that at the same time, you know, having had so much success for so long, we, we wanted to try to leverage, you know, the strengths of the club and try to add other strengths to the club, even the, at, at some short term cost or long-term cost in the case of making trades uh, with prospects and so it was a as much a baseball decision as a business decision trying to to keep the you know the uh, championship you know uh, uh, you know still in, in within our reach and uh, it was you know it didn't go well I mean we we saw, we saw that but we you know it was also another huge amount of injuries and uh, a lot of things working against us but you know I you know, those are decisions that sometimes are, you know, they're tough calls. I mean, you know, how much do you peel away from your 2018 club, given the seven, given what happened in 17, but also still try to, 
you know, put something, a product on the field that the fans can appreciate and, and also gives you a sense of direction and clarity for, you know, success to come. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of those same guys were, were on the club that won in 2021 and, and, you know, the supporting cast was, was different. And, you know, so, you know, I think the, um, the decisions that I appreciate about our ownership and, and our, our baseball uh, front office was the, the hunger to win. And sometimes that hunger to win, you know, may have blinded us to some realities that we should have peeled back a little bit, should have uh, let the plane go down 10 or 20,000 feet and, and, um, and then, you know, recharge it uh, in a couple of years. But, you know, the hunger to win was so strong. You know, we had, you know, obviously the, we felt the best manager in baseball. We still had some of the best players in the game with, with Posey and Crawford and Bumgardner and, and Belt and, you know, and so there's a lot there to work with. Um, you know, we didn't want to give in too easy. And and when the Giants had kind of expressed their desire to kind of go in a different direction with baseball operations, were you expecting it? Did you did you understand the decision? Did you have a hard time with the decision? What was kind of going through your mind when when that decision was made? I just respected it. I mean, I you know when you have 25 years with an organization, and you know I I respect the fact that there's there's uh, you know there's there's a lot of a lot of new things have changed in 25 years. There was a lot of opportunities in the game that they might want to, you know, get a think tank that looks at things a little differently. And yeah, I respected that as ownership. You know, they have a tough job, and and they need to, you know, listen to their fans and listen to, you know, um, you know their their pocketbooks and and try to understand you know the trends in the game themselves. And you know, I think Brian and I felt like we had a, a grip on what we needed to do, um, but at the same time. You know, I respect the fact that they, they felt like they needed to do something different. Um, you know, it was it was tough. It wasn't it certainly wasn't what I expected. Um, you know, when I took over as a GM, you know, a little over three years earlier, uh, it was not in, in my plans at all. Um, but again, you have to respect leadership sometimes to make tough calls. And and uh, and I did. Do you still keep up with the Giants? Like, is that still your team that you follow quite a bit? I know you're in the Bay Area, so it's kind of hard not to. But is like the Giants like still always going to be a, a team that that you're keeping up with? Oh yeah, my family, my kids. You know, there's um, there's a there's a passion for the organization, passion for the the, the front office, the team, the, the players, and you know we love watching it every night. I mean, that's that's what I do. You know, whether I'm you know, at home or on the road myself, I want to make sure and, and follow what's going on. And, you know, and I, I stay in touch with, with some of the guys, of course, um, not only players, but front office and, and, uh, and, and front office people that have, have come and gone as well and scouts. And I, I enjoy that. It's just, you know, it's a long time part of the giant family. And, you know, I feel like that, you know, that Larry, Larry has, um, uh, you know, maintained a great bridge to, you know, our, our past players, but I feel like he's also maintained a great bridge uh, to me and my family. And I, I appreciate that uh, him and ownership and, and the existing uh, front office as well. And um, I root for those guys. I want them to have success. And I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a resident of San Francisco and, and proud to be a giant fan. Absolutely. And maybe that changes down the road five years from now when you're like leading a, a team and you know, as the president of baseball ops or something, and you're back in the game uh, in New York with Sabian, maybe. No. Um, final hey, thing here. Never <laughs> you never know. Uh, real quick before we wrap, something I've always wanted to ask. There's like the thing, the whole thing surrounding the Giants and the Dodgers about dealing with them. 
when you were there, was there ever any discussions between like a trade between the two, even a minor, like a minor trade? Was that ever something that was like brought up or is it just too taboo to even talk about? Between the Dodgers and Giants? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, um, yeah, even in, I think in, I think we talked to, I talked to Farhan about, you know, possible trade for, you know, his abundant number of outfielders, even, you know, back in, I didn't want to say at the end of the 16 season. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, it's, you know, I'm sure Brian had conversations, Bob Quinn with Fred Clare back in the day and, you know, you know and maybe even some with Ned Coletti during his tenure there. I mean, uh, Danny Evans uh, at one point as the GM uh, there in LA. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you kick the tires. I mean, even the Padres, I mean, D-backs, I mean, we had trade talks, you know, with our teams, our own division, but we we also understand that any kind of deal like that is, is going to have to be abundantly clear to them that this is a good move for them as much as if they can trade this player out of the division, they don't have to face them. You know, that's going to probably be the first priority. So we're, we're going to have to have a pretty good offer on the table. And, you know, that's why a lot of those deals haven't happened. Yeah, well, one that did worked out pretty well. Marco Scudero for Charlie Culberson. That one, that one paid dividends. Right. And Culberson's had a really nice career too, in the role that he's been in. Uh, but Scudero, of course, the postseason hero. Um, Bobby, I appreciate the time. This was a blast. And uh, anytime you're at the ballpark, come say hello. And uh, appreciate you having on. Uh, appreciate you coming on. No, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, take care and good luck. Thank you. I appreciate that. And everybody could follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at RizzoCast. Go check it out. Thank you for listening. More stuff coming soon and have a good day.